This is episode 21 of the Landscape Photography Show, and in this episode, we talk to photographer Ben Horn. Ben is somebody that I've had my radar for a long time that I wanted to talk to just because he's kind of countercultural in the way that he photographs. He uses a film camera, something that I started with and something that a lot of us hear from photographers who come on the show talking about, you know, well, I started in film, made the transition over to digital, been still using film, creating amazing images out in nature. So I wanted to talk about his workflow, his thoughts on using a film camera, and then even some more thoughts on his relationship with some of the parks that he goes to as well. Let's get into it. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? We're here with Ben Horn, and Ben and I were just chatting a little bit before we got started. Ben's a San Diego native. Ben, I I wanted to read something just off of your website to kind of get this conversation going. And it's from your biography on your website. And it says, my goal is to create simple, structured, and calm images of nature. And I absolutely love working with large format film because of the inherent limitation and the strong sense of discipline that it requires. These limitations help me to shape the final image by giving me a sense of direction. Um, what do you mean by limitation, first of all? And I guess to anyone who doesn't know or isn't really too familiar with large format film, kind of give them a background on that. Yeah, sure. So with large format film, if you think of the sort of camera that like Ansel Adams would use with uh, you know, the usually wooden camera, the leather bellows and everything, and they're, they're very, very simple cameras to work with, but they're also incredibly limiting. Um, a lot of things we take for granted with digital in terms of, you know, being able to take pictures, you know, before sunrise or after sunset when you can't really see what you're doing with your eyes, but you can take these long exposures and you can take these really cool photos. Um, but when working with something like large format, uh, if I try to take a photo during that time of day, I wouldn't be able to see anything on the ground glass. So I, I literally can't set up a camera that type of day. Um, which forces me to sort of think ahead and set up the camera the day before and, and things along those lines. Uh, but also things like I don't really have a really long lens. Um, so I have to shoot things a little bit more. Uh, I shoot a lot with a normal lens. So when you see this like ultra wide angle or ultra long lens shots, that's really not something I have in the arsenal. Uh, but there's other things too, like, uh, like wind. Wind will shake those cameras around like crazy. Um, so it really does limit what I can and can't do. And that might sound like a negative thing, but it's actually very much a positive thing because it gives a sense of direction and sort of guides me to really what I can photograph and kind of helps me to see the things that um, that actually will photograph quite well on large format. And I, I really do enjoy that part of the process. How has it helped you create like your personal style? I feel like your style is very specific to you. Well, I, I think one of the things is it can be very intimidating at times uh, photographing the grand landscape. Mm-hmm. So if you have these like really wide scenic shots, uh, you know, tons of sky, very dynamic scenes, those type of photos on large format are kind of a stress case because 
the it's just you can't work very fast the light's constantly changing the conditions are changing you know maybe it's windy and it's it's great when they turn out and but i don't have a lot of those in my portfolio because it really is something i kind of i, I try to avoid it because it uh it, it's not really the sort of experience that i enjoy as much but if i'm photographing something like a, a tree set against a cliff or some really cool looking mud patterns on the ground that's something that large format works so much better at. And so I think that has helped guide me to the sort of subjects that I choose because in many ways, it's just easier to shoot it on large format, but also the process as a whole is just so much more enjoyable because I'm not, you know, getting stressed out about, did I do everything right? Is everything, you know, did I make any mistakes? And I can just kind of enjoy the experience. And that's one of the things I really do enjoy about it. Do you see though, like a paradox here, when you're talking about limitations, most photographers don't want limitations to their creative vision. Um, is there a paradox there of limiting yourself, maybe not limiting yourself, but having limitations around a large format film camera versus seeing something in the landscape that you really want to get, but having that limitation there? So I think to, to many photographers, the thought of having limitations might not, it might not sound like a good thing at first, mm -hmm. uh, but with time, I think it's something that we all sort of gravitate towards. So if you think about it, when people are getting into photography, you know, you start thinking about, you know, getting the camera, these, you know, big zoom lenses and everything else. But after a while, a lot of people sort of gravitate towards prime lenses and it's, um, there's something more comforting in a way working with it because it's less decisions to make and it actually makes the job a little bit easier. And you sort of learn to see the subject from the perspective of that lens. And so in many ways, that's kind of what large format does, where it helps guide you a little bit. Because especially if I, if I show up to a scene where something absolutely beautiful is going on, like a clearing storm in Death Valley, uh, something along those lines, uh, it can be very intimidating to figure out what am I even supposed to shoot? You know, what, what can I shoot? Uh, but with a large format, it does help to narrow that down a little bit. And it's, it's actually kind of comforting in a way because it, it does help guide you. And so... I think in many ways, photographers do, they do enjoy some degree of limitation, um, but just not the, in a bad way that makes it so you can't do anything that would obviously be a very, very bad limitation in that sense. Yeah. I get this visual of you of like trekking through the sand dunes in death Valley with like this massive large format film camera on your shoulder. And like, Sit, your feet in that situation just sink into the sand. Is it cumbersome <laughs> to take your camera everywhere with you in places like that? Um, you know, it, it kind of it kind of depends. Um, one thing I do like to do is to scout out a location uh, ahead of time. So I have a very lightweight scouting pack, which is just mostly my video kit for doing the the YouTube stuff. Um, but then I can go back and I can grab the the big camera. Um, but yeah, a place like Death Valley, um, it also kind of depends on where I am. Um, I do enjoy taking time just to scout areas and to get out there when the light's actually really good and sometimes not even having the camera with me, but just to experience, especially because the stuff like the, the light hitting the dunes in Death Valley, things change so fast and it's really hard to think ahead of it and to predict what's going to happen. So I find that I just head out there, no camera, kind of scout things out and then maybe come back the next day and try to get the photo. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is a fair amount of work lugging it out there, but also sometimes I'll just hike to kind of an area where I'm 
you know, no one else is around. I'll just dump the pack and just kind of walk around without the camera too. So it's, it's not actually all that bad. Just as long as the backpack actually carries the weight pretty well. And the one I have does that very well. Yeah. I saw one of your posts. I, it was either on social media or it was one of the freeze frames that you used as like the thumbnail for your YouTube video. And you were like perched up on a rock and your camera was kind of like leaning back towards you. Oh yeah. 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 That was on my trip design recently. That was, that was the most comfortable, uh, setup I've ever had for taking a photo. Cause there's this rock wall back behind me that was like the perfect recliner where I could just lean back on it, work the camera. That was, that was incredibly relaxing. And, and actually the cool thing about that scene is that you had these, these two really beautiful maples in this perfect fall color. And I'm down in this, uh, slot Canyon. And, uh, it was a really calm scene, not even the smallest amount of wind, which was important because I had to do about a 30 second long exposure somewhere in that range. But just to be able to lean back on that, that nice sort of a reclining surface and just, you know, trigger the shutter. And, and it's interesting because I think that comes through in the final photo because it's, it's a very calm photo, but also I was incredibly calm when I was taking that photo. And, and that's, was kind of nice as opposed to those times when you're like I said earlier with the grand landscapes where things are changing fast and you're kind of uh, stressed out to try to make all the right decisions. And then you know, perhaps that comes through in the photo as well. So I definitely enjoy that. That's really calm sort of experience. I think a lot of your images though are different than say people who start out and want those like massive overlook scenes. And you have some of those too, but I feel like your style is a little bit more artistic, thoughtful. And I was just wondering when you get to a trailhead and your boots hit the ground, like what is your workflow? Can you take us through the scouting process all the way through clicking the shutter? Yeah. So it's mostly just a matter of me wandering around and just trying to find something that catches my eye for one reason or another. And uh, oftentimes I like to, if, if, especially if it's an area where not a lot of people go, an area where it might be very chaotic, like some of these side canyons in Zion where it's just absolute chaos. Uh, but I'll just kind of, I'll, I'll walk around, I'll look around. And then there'll be times when I'll just stop every, I don't know, 50 or 100 feet or so, just stop, look around in every direction. And at some point, something's going to catch my eye. And, and I usually say something out loud when I see it. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. Uh, and, and usually I know that if I, if I say that, you know, it means that, you know, there, there's, there's potential for that scene. And I sit there and just study it for a while and kind of walk around it, try to see if there's a ideal angle in order to uh, set up my camera and kind of get everything set. Um, because one of the things with um, large format, especially with the 8x10, is you can't just, you know, set up the camera and just kind of walk around looking through the viewfinder. You can't just look at it in quite that same way that you can with a camera. So you have to scout out the composition and you have to scout out the, uh, the subject and everything else and the focal length you want to use by doing it with your eyes first and sort of figure out exactly where that camera needs to be and see if there's any uh, distracting elements that are going to get in the way or you know anything else along those lines. Um, but with, if I find something I'm pretty happy with, uh, something that grabs my attention, something I see potential for a composition. Uh, at that point, I'll set up the tripod, you know, set up the camera, 
and then spend a lot of time just studying it really in particular and see if there is something there. And usually if I, if I see something with my eyes and if I think there's potential there, there typically is, I can usually find something to, something to work with, but there'll of course be those times when it just, it doesn't work for one reason or another, but it all starts with something that catches my eye. Um, and then kind of going from there and then try to figure out exactly where to, where to put the camera and see if I can find a good composition on that scene. When you're creating a composition and, and you take the photo, process it and have it out for the world to see, is it difficult to you, if it, is it difficult for you to have that image out there and not be defined by the type of camera you use that is large format versus I'm this type of photographer. This is my style. Like the camera doesn't really define me. Um, that's, it's a, it's a tough one because the, the camera does in a way define the final product just because of all those limitations that it has. Um, but also I, I don't try to, I, I don't get too in depth with all the, the, the technical stuff and all that when I post the photos and, and usually I'll mention it was taken with an eight by 10, but I think if I'm just posted on Instagram or something like that, and someone's just casually looking at the photo um, I, I don't know that they would be able to figure out specifically, you know, all the details by looking at it. But I mean, I, I do think that the the equipment does define me because of those limitations. Um, and I don't think that's a I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think it's a good thing. I think it just kind of is is how it is. Um, so it's it's I think it's just all kind of part of the process in that regard. Yeah, I just feel like. Like with me, I mean, I'm initially asking you these questions, but I'm drawn to the camera you use because it's different. It's weird. Yeah. And I feel like that's where a lot of people gravitate to. Yeah, I, I think anyone that's using film these days, um, things will stand out a little bit differently just because mm -hmm. of the decision to do something that's a little less mainstream in a way. Um the, the main reason I actually went back to film way back when, because I was shooting digital before I went to film. Uh, but the main reason I, I went to film was um, I, I just didn't feel like the photos I was producing were the quality that I wanted. Um, and at the time, I thought maybe it was because uh, maybe it was something with the equipment. Maybe there was something along those lines. Maybe the, the cameras weren't as good as they could be or whatever, something along those lines. But uh, the, the truth of it was that I wasn't producing the photos that I really was happy with because I just wasn't putting the work into it. And uh, a friend of mine suggested buying a, a 4x5 large format camera. Um, so those ones, they they work with 4x5 film, uh, which is 4x5 mm -hmm. inches. So it's kind of a, a smaller version of the one I'm using now. But I, I bought that camera and, and took right to it and uh, found that that camera made me work harder. Um, and so that's something that... Um, I was kind of happy to go down that road, but when I did that, um, film was definitely in a decline. There was lots of photographers selling off their gear, going to digital because digital was, it. this was in, um, let's see, this was back in, uh, 2008, 2007, somewhere in that range. Uh -huh. Um, so digitals were starting to get pretty good at that point in time. And, uh, and so I was just kind of was going the opposite direction at that point in time, but, but now things have sort of gone the other way where now things there's an emphasis going back towards film a little bit just because there's a lot of people that have never had that experience so it's just a whole nother area to explore 
but what you find is that a lot of the film photographers are also quite proficient at digital. So it's just sort of, you know, being able to work on both of them. Um, but is yeah, it, there, there's something different about working with a large format camera, working with film. There's, it, it, it's saying a little something to the world. I'm not quite sure what that is, but it's saying a little something to the world. It's interesting. I mean, you throw out the date, like 2008, 2009, when digital started to get really good. That's not that long ago. That no. is so crazy to hear. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy how things have changed so fast. And the camera I was using back then for a digital, um, even by today's standards, it's actually pretty decent. Uh, but it was a Canon uh, 1DS Mark III, uh, uh-huh. which was a, it's like a 20 megapixel, 21 megapixel camera, which by today's standards is fairly normal. Uh, but it was a crazy expensive camera back then. It was it was like $8,000. It was yeah. it was a third. <laughs> um, and, and that's that's a camera where I kind of, I think by the time I, I got that camera and I'm figuring, you know, I have one of the best tools that I can work with at this point in time. If I'm still not producing photos that I'm happy with, you know, there's something going on here. So I think it was, you know, that jump to film that really just made me work harder. And, and that was a secret all along. I mean, if I had any digital camera right now, I, I, I'd probably be happy with all the photos I was taking with it. Um, but definitely going to uh, going to that film-based setup, it just, it was like boot camp for photography. It, it really, really did help out quite a bit. Does film, and this is always something I love to ask photographers who have gone from film to digital or digital to film or use both interchangeably. It, do you feel a stronger connection to your photos when you are using film? Yeah. And, and I think it's because you're, you're producing something tangible. You're producing something that you can hold on to. Um, with digital, it's just kind of like theoretically a photo until you make a print of it. Um, but there's something very, um, I mean, I shoot a lot of slide film. And so there's something very rewarding about looking that, looking at that, you know, sheet of film on a light box, looking at it under a loop. And it's, it's very immersive. It's an experience that you can't replicate with, you know, even the best monitors or even the best printers. But being able to look at that that slide film under a loop, it's it's kind of magical, really. Um, so there's something to be said about what you can do with that. And also, I think in many ways, uh, some films, especially like a color negative film, they have kind of a, a reminiscent feel to them. And I think it's probably true more so for people from. I mean, I'm, I'm 38, but people, you know, if, when I grew up, every all the you know, childhood photos are all taken on film. So there's a certain look to it that you associate with sort of the past and sort of a reminiscent feel. And uh, that's something that definitely comes through when, when working with film, uh, who knows what it is nowadays where, you know, a lot of, you know, childhood pictures are taken on an iPhone or whatever, whether the look of an <laughs> iPhone photo will be reminiscent at some point, who knows. But, uh, you know, I, I think I, I do like that vibe of, uh, of working with film. It has a, a different look. It's not as clean of a look. Um, usually kind of serve a warm feel to it, which is, which is kind of nice. Someday we'll have iPhone presets and yeah, like Lightroom. You, you kind of wonder, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just that look that they have like bad low light quality. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, the grainy pictures with the really muddy <laughs> colors, man. That just takes me right back to when I was, you know, Christmas morning when I was like seven years old or whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> 2018 Christmas morning. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what is your post-processing like? It's always, I I did film in high school. Uh, so I have some background in developing 
the actual photo and creating a print in a dark room, things like that. What is your workflow like in post-processing? It's pretty simple, really. Um, most of the photos I take are on side film and side film. It's, it's very, um, it, it's, it's not tough to scan. Um, so I scan it on a flatbed scanner and, uh, just so long as my exposure is good, it's pretty easy to scan. And in a way it's kind of like shooting like a big fancy JPEG with all the presets that are applied in a digital camera. But in this case, it's just based on whatever film stock you're using in terms of how the color and contrast and all that stuff is. Hmm. Um, but you know, once you have that film, you scan it and then my, my philosophy for the editing is to try to stay pretty true to the film, unless the film got something wrong in terms of like a color cast or, you know, something along those lines. So I'll just scan it of a TIFF file and then I will, um, basically it's just kind of like setting a curve to, uh, to adjust the, the contrast, the exposure, the, if there's any color adjustments need to be fixed, but it's pretty simple. It's basically scanning it and trying to get it to look like the film did. Um, and then from that point, you have a file that's as, as big as you want it to be, really. And, and if it's something where there's a, like if a person orders a print, uh, I'll send that film off to get scanned with a professional drum scan. And those scans, they can be much more detailed. They can be higher quality, but they're also pretty expensive to have those, those scans done. But yeah, it's just, it's just working with a, a TIFF file and just doing some curves and nothing, nothing too crazy compared to what you have to do on digital because digital captures so much dynamic range and you have to figure out how to work all that into a photo and make it look all natural. Whereas with film, it kind of comes out of the camera looking pretty good as it is, so long as you made all the right decisions and uh, when you're taking the photo. I just want to pause and take a real quick second to talk about today's sponsor for the episode, and that is visualwilderness.com. Visual Wilderness is a place where you can get tons of content for how to be a better photographer. Not only written content, but video tutorials and courses as well. I'm a contributor to that site. Right now, you can get all of my courses on visualwilderness.com for 33% off for a limited time. Courses that are going to teach you how to edit better photos and post-processing. Again, 33% off for a limited time if you use the code DAVID33 during checkout. You can go to today's show notes on how to get those links to all of my courses and how to get that discount if you go to davidjohnstonart.com slash podcast slash horn. That's H-O-R-N-E. Back to the show. Now, you've mentioned Zion a couple times while we've been talking and I know I subscribe to you on YouTube. So I know you're releasing your, uh, digital journals of, of your travels in Zion and your hiking through there. What does Zion mean to you as a photographer? Well, it's, it's a really cool area just because there, I mean, it's, it's not a very large national park. Um, but there's tons of areas that are, um, quite accessible, uh, areas that don't see a lot of traffic, don't see a lot of people. And there's so many possibilities everywhere. Um, so, I mean, I go there several times a year. I go there during the fall. I also go there during the winter, which I'm going to be heading there pretty soon here. Um, but the place is always changing. And for me, revisiting a place like Zion and challenging myself to find new subjects and to explore more, uh, it's a very rewarding process. And so, 
to me, it, it represents a place that I can return to again and again. I think the first time I went there, it was on a family camping trip. I was probably seven years old or somewhere in about that range. And uh, I, I mean, I definitely remember visiting it back then and being blown away by the scale of the place and the cliffs and the beautiful trees and everything. Um, but now I, I still get super excited about heading back there just because it's kind of a challenge to to go to an area that I've been to so many times through the years, yet to challenge myself to find new subjects and new ways of trying to give the feeling of of being there. And so that's that's for me one of the reasons I love it so much. It's familiar, yet it's foreign. And there's so many places I, I still haven't seen. And I just love exploring and, and seeing what I could find there. It's been really interesting having this podcast and talking to so many people and it seems like, you know, for a time, and, and I think it still rings true for a lot of people of wanting to go to like a different place constantly and travel the world and using photography as a way to, to travel and see different places and cultures. But the more I talk to people, it's almost like there's kind of this slow movement, especially with landscape photographers to continue visiting the same spots over and over to do just what you said and, and challenge yourself to create something unique and something you've seen countless times. Oh yeah. And, and I think, um, I mean, there's something, like you said, there's something very rewarding about that. Uh, if I think back to some of the areas I've visited on the, the first time I may have walked away from a photo that was, you know, I may have walked away with a photo that I'm, I'm pretty happy with, but um, looking back at that photo, I realized I didn't really dig deep enough at that location. It was kind of the obvious photo. But the more you return to it, the more you kind of see how things have changed, and the more you get to know an area. I think that's when you're rewarded with the the better work, the work that's more telling of a location, and it kind of uh, is more true to that location. So I, I do enjoy the process of getting to know a new location. But in some ways, also, it's maybe a little bit intimidating because you know, you, you you hit the ground there. It's like, all right, there's a million things around me. I don't even know where to go. I don't know where to find the good stuff. But uh, an area like Zion or Death Valley that I've returned to, you know, for over 10 years, you know, every single year and sometimes multiple times a year, um, I have, I can kind of hit the ground with a plan. I know areas to explore and uh, there'll be things like when I went on my, um, my fall trip to Zion, there was, a I spent a lot of time studying the satellite maps and just looking at all these areas I hadn't been to yet. And, and on this trip, I, I went to an area that I didn't even know existed. It's an area you can't even see as you're driving through. And I figured out how to get there. And, uh, I didn't get any photos from that location on this trip, but I found a scene that's really beautiful that I plan on going back to next year to photograph. And so as you, as you visit a location, you kind of explore a little bit and that kind of branches off into another area and another area. And you pretty quickly realize that a park like Zion, which is not a large park, you can spend the rest of your life there and still not see everything. Um, but then I think the work kind of continually gets better and better with, with each visit. So it's definitely a process I, I really do enjoy of just getting to know these locations. Do you think more photographers, especially beginning photographers, need to push that desire to see new places aside and really hone in on their craft with familiar places? You know, I think it depends on the person. Mm -hmm. um, some people, they might be drawn to, you know, seeing all these different areas and then maybe eventually figuring out what it is that, that they want to do. 
Um, some people might just be focused more on photographing locally. Um, I mean, I also see the, the appeal of not traveling to foreign lands and all these other places just because of, you know, thinking of more environmental reasons and sort of the footprint that we're leaving behind us with all the, you know, the airplane travel and everything else along those lines. So uh, I think that's another, another aspect of it that we should sort of, you know, consider as well. And uh, shooting closer to home might be pretty decent in that regard. Um, but also, you know, you see some of these areas that that people there's always these hot spots that people really want to go to because i think goes of instagram and and everything else along those lines um but the photos you see of these areas oftentimes it's sort of the best case scenario you know the person happened to be in the right place at the right time and they had all these perfect conditions and chances are if you you know go to that area for you know a week or whatever you may not have conditions anywhere near like that, but if you're closer to home, if it's an area that you frequently visit, um, I think you'll kind of learn to see when the conditions are are truly more special, and it'll give you a little more of a plan of of where to you know where to go and and what sort of subjects to find and, and to work with. Um, so it's I don't know. I, I think it depends on the photographer, but um, there's definitely a lot of value in in returning to the same area and getting to know an area really really well. Have you seen a lot of that human footprint impact in your travels to Zion, places like that in the last 10 years? Um, I have seen some more um, like graffiti and stuff in areas I never saw it in the past. And that's been pretty sad to see. Um, I've seen more, uh, more litter and more trash, which is also obviously a really, really bad thing to see. Um, but I also found that I find that people generally don't stray very far from parking areas or from the road. And once you get a little ways away from, um, some of the, you know, areas that people frequently visit, I haven't seen a whole lot of a change. Um, and that's something I'm also pretty, pretty careful about on my end, because when I do the videos, um, I don't really want people to know specifically where I am in the park. I'm usually mm -hmm. pretty vague about where I am because, there's some really special areas out there and they're not really, well, there really isn't the sort of infrastructure to, to handle lots of people. And so I'm, I'm very careful about where I am. And, and especially if it's, if it's not even talking about Zion, but if it's like some areas where I go backpacking into, uh, I, I never name the names of the canyons I visit because I'd hate to see what can happen to some of these, these areas. But thankfully I haven't seen, I haven't seen any really, profound changes to the areas. Um, but what I have seen is that people all tend to just visit the hot spots, you know, the, the horseshoe bends and stuff like that. And those areas have changed quite dramatically over the past 10 years or so. Have you always been a pretty solitary person? I mean, you're going to these places pretty much by yourself. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Um, I mean, from a, from a photographic standpoint, uh, I find it, it's really difficult to work if I'm on a trip with other photographers. Uh, it might be a type of thing where we're, you know, camping or whatever, staying at the same campsite. Um, but then actually going out for the day, I kind of have to just be on my own where I can go at my own pace and see what I can find. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely so much better suited for, uh, for more of the solitary travels. I, I think I could just be so much more productive and I spend the time doing really what I need to do on those, those trips. Do you think that's helped you in YouTube as well? Being 
kind of like one of the first people who was starting to vlog on YouTube with landscape photography and, and being out in these locations by yourself, has that helped you? Um, in, in, in terms of, um, that's, that's a good question. Um, I, I think it helps to create for better photos, which ultimately is, is very good in the long run. Um, but also with, with YouTube stuff, you'll see a lot of things where, you know, uh, different creators will sort of team up on, on projects and stuff like that. And that's something I haven't really wanted to do too much because it just, I'd find it be pretty, pretty difficult to work in that, in that, uh, in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I think it helps to produce higher quality work just because you can dedicate all your focus, all your attention on, uh, on the photography itself. Why, why YouTube though? Um, so when I started doing this, uh, the whole like landscape photography videos in the field, it, it wasn't even a thing. Uh, so I started doing that mostly because, uh, I was not very good at writing. So I, uh, <laughs> right. I was trying to do a written blog for a while and I just, I get writer's block. It just didn't work out very well. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, eventually I just took along a little, uh, little point and shoot Canon elf digital camera and just took a little video clips and put them together. And it was nothing fancy. I mean, they're, most of those old ones are still on YouTube if you dig back far enough. Uh, but I found it's just a, a better way of telling the story of these trips and sort of figuring out how to give the same sort of feeling, um, you know, in the videos and stuff as, as when I was actually there. And that, that's evolved through the years. But uh, when I started doing this, it was mostly because I just was had a hard time writing. So <laughs> that's just kind of how it evolved into to what it is now. Do you think it's helped people connect like to your specific individual photos though? I know you do like the photo uh, packages you send out. Does that backstory kind of help those gain traction and, and make some of those sales? I think it does. I think if, if a person is interested in, in buying a particular photo, it's because you're going to connect with it in one way or another. And it could be because of their own experiences, maybe at that location or based on sort of the, the feeling that the photo has. Uh, but I think in many ways, knowing the, the backstory of the photo is, it makes it a little bit more special where you, it's a little more personal in that regard. Um, so I, I definitely think that, that knowing the, the backstory helps. And that, that's actually one of the reasons why I started doing the, the videos and stuff to begin with. Just uh, kind of give a little more of a background behind the photos and not that, you know, putting a lot of work into a photo makes a photo good, um, but just making it a little bit more personal where people can relate to it a little bit more and they have a better feeling for, you know, the, the setting, the scene and, and everything else that kind of uh, went into the story behind crafting that particular photo. Are people pretty typically surprised at how much work actually does go into it? Um, people who I, are I unfamiliar so. with like, landscape photography as in general? Yeah, I, I think in some ways, I, I think it, it might just seem pretty foreign to them overall. Um, but uh, yeah, that's it's a good question. I, I, I don't really know on that. Um, I, I will say though, that when I do the videos, um, I don't really glorify the um, the the work that goes into it. I, and if anything, I kind of gloss over it a little bit like, oh, here I found a cool looking tree, you know, I'll take a photo of it kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I don't think it actually tells quite the complete story of everything that is involved in terms of the effort, just because I don't want it to feel like it's like, uh, you know, a bigger deal than it really is. So I kind of gloss over some of that stuff just, just a little bit. Um, so I don't, I actually, if, if a person were to try to go on a similar trip and try to do some more things, I think they'd realize right away that, oh, this is actually, this is, this is, this is pretty intense trying to, you know, do the video and the photos and trying not to mess up and try to get the perfect composition and everything. Cause it is, it is actually a fair amount of work to do. Uh, which it I think is. is one of the reasons why I burn out pretty fast on the trips after like five or six days or so. Oh, do you really? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have a friend who will go on like these three week trips and, uh, and he, he produces, you know, really, really solid work. And I honestly don't know how he does it because I, I get burnt out pretty fast. Uh, at a certain point, I'm just kind of like, there, there's usually a part on, on the trips where, you know, let's say it's like five days into the trip. I've already taken a few photos or, probably pretty decent at a certain point. It might be like, you know, like one o'clock in the afternoon and I'm somewhere in Southern Utah. And I start doing the math in terms of, okay, so if I drive home right now, what time will I get home? And then I see it sometime. It's like, you know, like it's like four in the morning or something like that. Okay. Well, that's, that's not an option, but, uh, but yeah, I, there's, there's a defining point where the trip usually ends where it's kind of like, all right, I'm worn out. I'm done. I just want to head home. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's so funny because I do the same thing, like starting to weigh what I still have. Like sometimes I'll stay, you know, at like a campsite and I'm like, well, you know, I've already reserved $15 for the next two nights, but I'm kind of, you know, worn out, burnout right now. And if I left right now, I'd get home at 7 a.m. And this is at like 2 a.m. when you wake up and it's raining on your tent and stuff. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I know that feeling. And actually, my uh, my wife and I, so we'll, we'll go on like a summer camping trip. And uh, so there's been times when, well, even this past summer, we were up in, in Glacier National Park. And uh, we we had done a, a hike in the morning. We went back, we camped, we had lunch. And it was just, it was really hot. We didn't have shade or a campsite. And we had like two more days scheduled for the campsite. And then I just, I pull up my phone because I had cell access. I'm like, well, we can be in Southern Idaho by like evening time. And then we could drive the rest of the way home tomorrow. And we just packed everything up and, and headed out. Just that snap decision of cool. We're good. We're done. We've seen all we need to see. But uh, same thing happens when I go on my, my photo trip sometimes. I love that though. I love like the whimsy of like just landscape photography in general of chasing conditions trying to find what's out there, packing up when you're done, even if you still have a couple nights left on your campsite, things like, I think that's what makes it fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you never quite know what's going to happen. I mean, you can't schedule things when it comes to landscape photography, you can block off a certain amount of time, but you know, it, it's kind of hard to, to anticipate how everything's going to happen, uh, in advance. But, uh, but the, I, I do enjoy when, when there's a trip where it ends on, a good note where it's like my, my last day there, I've done everything I want to do. And then like on my, uh, my fall trip design, I just went around on the last day and just kind of wandered around with no intention of taking any photos whatsoever. Um, I brought a bike this year, so I was just riding my bike around and just taking everything in. I'll say that that was, that was also really fun too. So maybe it's something I should, uh, focus on a little more often in terms of last day of the trip, just make it just a fun day, you know, just, uh, see things and kind of like feel like a kid again. And that was, that was kind of fun. Little work-life balance. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, for sure. I was curious in knowing why 
no ads on YouTube? So I, st- I turned off the ads, I think it was like four or five years ago. And I think the, the, the primary reason is that on, on YouTube, when you have the monetization, when you have the ads that play before the video, uh, you're rewarded based on the number of views that your videos get. So the more views you get, the more ad revenue you make. And I'm more the type of person that likes to fly under the radar and just kind of, uh, it, to me, the the attention getting aspect of it, um, it, it almost seems very formulaic in a, in a way where there's certain things people will do to try to increase the um, the views and increase the ad revenue. And, and I saw that pushing me down a path that I just really wasn't comfortable doing. Um, so I, I don't really, uh, th- the main thing is I wanted to shut off the ads because first of all, they're, let's face it, they're, they're kind of annoying to have to, you know, skip the ad and, you know, then you accidentally click them every now and then, but, uh, that's, that's why it all works out. But, um, I, I, I find it, it's a little bit annoying with the ads. Um, but also I didn't like the, the direction it was, it was putting me down where I, um, I felt like I would do a lot better if I just shut off the ads and then I just relied completely on viewer supported content, which uh, makes it so I'm rewarded by producing videos that I feel at least are a little higher quality than I would be doing if it was all ad supported. And it, it's been a really good change. Um, uh, it's allowed me to stay more true to myself um, in, in a way that um, I don't, I'm not trying to really seek the attention. And, and actually, there's, there's a side benefit to it as well, which is when you turn off the ads, the channel hardly grows at all because it's not really recommended through YouTube very much because they really want to have their monetization. So they're going to reward those who have the ads. Um, but actually, I see that as a side benefit because if the channel got to be really, really big, I think also I'd feel a little bit weird about that, having so many eyes on what I'm doing. I'd, and again, I like to kind of fly under the radar a little bit. Um, so it, by turning off the ads, it allows me to uh, be more true to myself, um, but also it allows me to feel a little more comfortable doing what I'm doing. Um, and I can't imagine the amount of pressure that people have if they have you know, you know 500,000 subscribers, a million subscribers. And to me, that would, that would not be very fun. Um, so I, I do enjoy keeping the channel kind of small and uh, staying more true to myself in, in that sense. Are you aware that's completely counterintuitive than everybody who signs up to produce YouTube content? Yeah, I think that's just kind of the, the path I've taken when it comes to so many things in life. I mean, sh- choosing to shoot film when everyone else is shooting digital, uh, turning off the ads and just doing viewer supported content. But what I found, which is interesting, is that in the long term, things kind of come around where, you know, I, when I started shooting film, there was not a ton of people shooting film back then. It was kind of a dying off. And I was thinking, you know, is this even going to be around in five years? Um, but now they're coming out with more film. It's kind of coming back. And in the same way, when I started doing the the video stuff, you know, people weren't doing the the videos, the vlogs, all that sort of stuff for landscape photography. But now that's kind of become a big thing. And then the other thing too is the the viewer supported content um, with the donation base, but nothing behind a, a paywall or anything like that. And uh, now you have you know there's like Patreon and all these sort of companies where people are doing that sort of stuff as well. So in my sort of desire to do things differently, just to make it more rewarding and make it not really feel like work, 
in the long run, all these things are kind of becoming a little bit more of a thing. So it kind of becomes a little bit more mainstream in a way, but, but yeah, all the conventional advice on YouTube, I I kind of do the opposite of it. Um, So it's, it's not a method I would use to, you know, it's not something I recommend to other people if they want to grow their channel really fast by shutting off the ads and and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, but it's worked well for what I do. I think it's funny too, how most people don't even like they, get into YouTube to maybe like make a little bit of side income if that's their goal and turning on the ads is like this holy grail for them almost, but really ads don't pay out that much. No, they don't. And, and I think it also, um, with, with YouTube, it, you're rewarded by posting content very frequently. Uh, so then you'll have a situation where if you do get to the point where you have the ads turned on, you have to keep churning out the content again and again and again in order to really be noticed and to build the subscriber base and everything. And to me, that just feels like work. And that's just my whole thing with the photography is that I don't want it to feel like work. I want it to feel like something I enjoy doing. And uh, that's kind of how I've structured things in terms of, you know, the cameras I use, the, the process for, for YouTube and everything else. I just don't want it to feel like work. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I think that from that sense, it's it's actually worked out pretty well. It's more of a, a long term plan as opposed to you know a you know get rich quick scheme, which is definitely not what I'm doing. <laughs> it's well, hard, he's hard, been hard to have that happen when it's like thirty bucks a click for for film. Yeah, exactly. He's Ben Horn. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Ben. Talking about um, your countercultural ways of just life, I guess. Yeah, I appreciate you having me and uh, it's, it's, it's fun.